an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, today on the podcast, I have Tom Capshu, and he is my Reiki master teacher. So I wanted to introduce him to you all because he is what got me started on this whole journey of energy healing because he was my first teacher about energy. Tom has written a book called Consciousness Rising. So I wanted to ask him some questions about consciousness, and he talks about how we've been under this dominator consciousness, taking all these resources, and yet now we are starting to move into this idea of all of us bring value and how we can support each other and how we aren't really that different. Tom also talks about dark nights of the soul and how they lead to purpose and passion. You'll also hear about the five heart senses and the four energy bodies that we have. Tom gives us a great reminder that we need to connect with the divine and with our own inner knowingness. If you want to learn more about Tom, you can go to thomascapshoe.com. But for now, here is Tom Capshoe. Let's get started. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, we have Tom Capshu, and he's actually my Reiki master. He attuned me several years back, almost 14 years ago, and we reconnected just a few weeks ago because, ironically, I had decided that the next topic we were going to talk about was consciousness, and then he sent me a message out of the blue, I mean, not really, because we're all connected, (laughs) and said, I have a book out on consciousness. Did you know that? And I was like, I had no idea, but definitely come on the podcast and share your wisdom. So Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the invitation. Glad to be here. So Tom, not only is he super into energy healing and all the metaphysical stuff, but he also has several degrees, which I think is very interesting because one of them is a law degree, one of them is a psychology degree, and one of them is a social work degree. Is that correct? That's right. Two yeah. social work degrees. Two, okay. And a PhD. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's like a brilliant guy who has a very unique take on consciousness. So that's why I'm excited to talk to you today about it. Why don't you tell us your story? How did you get into? I still don't even know how you got into energy work. I mean, it was so long yeah. ago that I just remember being so thankful that I found you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I can give you the long version or the short version. I'll give you the short version. When I was writing my first book, Divine Warrior Training, I lived in Iowa, and I wanted to do some workshops around that book and went to a massage school near where I lived and asked if I could rent some space for these workshops. And after I got talking with the owner, she said, well, I need someone to teach business and ethics. So would you be interested in doing that? You've got the right background. So I started teaching business and ethics at the massage school and decided to take 
a class to see what they were learning in some of their other topics. And I took Energy Therapies 1, which was Reiki Level 1, and just fell in love with it. Took Energy Therapies 2 as soon as it came up. After that, the owner said, well, why don't I apprentice you to teach Reiki and you can start to take over these two energy therapies classes. And I was just like a pig in slop. I was loving <laughs> So I taught there for seven years and then went to New York City. That's where you and I met in Reiki level one. And then you came back for Reiki level two. And I want to tell you this story because sometimes we don't realize the impact that we have on other people. So I've been teaching Reiki now for, that's 18 years, 2003 to 2021. I do a lot of intro to Reiki sessions, which is a 90-minute session where I explain it, and then we get a felt sense of what it feels like. So that's open to the public. And I do several of those over the course of a year. COVID actually slowed that down. But almost every time I teach that intro to Reiki, I tell this story. One of my students who lived in New York City, who was a first grade teacher, came back after Reiki level one to Reiki level two. And I always ask my students, what experiences have you had with Reiki level one? This student said, well, I'm a teacher. And after level one, I went back to my class. And when my kids get upset, I have them come and sit on my lap. And right after I took Reiki level one, the next kid that came and sat on my lap looked up at me and said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I had to come up with something to tell them that met their place that they were. And I decided to tell my kids that I'm just saying I love you with my hands. Hmm. And that student was Amy Stark. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. <laughs> I have been telling that story. Oh, obviously not with your name. But I've been telling that story. I mean, it sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was how I described it. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful way to describe energy work. Is mm. I'm just saying I love you with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> you either actually said that, or I made it up. And no, you know, no, been, no. I remember that. Thinking of you. Every time I tell that story. That's so crazy. Wow. So over the years, I've been a part of all those classes and I didn't even know it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Everything's connected. You never know what you say or do that's going to have a lasting impact on another human being. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I remember in that class, there was also a man that had Parkinson's next to me. I remember when you were attuning him, I opened my eyes because we were all supposed to be in a meditation and I just could feel something change. And I turned over and he had stopped shaking and I was like, what is going on? Like, I was like, yeah. that's cool. So yeah. I knew that immediately something was happening. And actually one of the times when I was learning Reiki too, you had us go into another room and we had to test a distance Reiki. And I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I mean, not really, but I mean, essentially I was like, I don't know how I can believe this. And I went in the other room and it felt like my pants were moving and my clothes were moving on me. And I remember 
knowing when the Reiki started and when it stopped and somebody was going to walk in the room and tell me it was over. And that blew me away. I'll never, ever forget that. It was just such a real tangible experience that I could take forward with me. And now I work with people all over the world through the computer. So it makes sense, right? That I had to learn that. So thank you for sharing that story of our experience of taking that class together or you giving me that class. Yeah, our brains really limit what's possible. We're right in the shift. We're in the middle of a huge shift from processing the world through our brains and processing the world through our hearts. Our brains really dumb down what we're capable of and Mm. slow us down from stepping into our power. Just like you said, for Reiki to distance work, this is bullshit. That was your brain saying, there's no way, I can't see it, I can't touch it, but then you did. And mm-hmm. so then your heart opened up and you opened up to what I call homo luminous. We're, we're moving from homo sapien to homo luminous. Which oh, is cool. I like that. <laughs> a, you know, light beings. We're really light beings. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to add after the first attunement, I don't know that I've ever even told you this. After the first attunement, I went into the cafe that was connected to where we were doing our work. Normally, I would go in there and be like, yay, cookies, cakes, and everything is all available to me. What sugary (laughs) thing can I have? And I couldn't bring myself to buy anything that was not healthy. So I wound up with a salad. And I remember (laughs) thinking, what's going on? Like, this is really, really weird. Like, I naturally am gravitating towards the things that are healthy. So that was also really cool. Something really happens when we get energy work. And I definitely understand it a lot more now, for sure. And obviously, you have a great understanding of that. So can you explain to us why you wrote a book on consciousness? Well, because I was told to, I guess, is the easy (laughs) answer. Consciousness. It's everywhere all the time. And I have been a writer for quite a few years. I started getting prompts to write different things and different little articles and it started coming together as this is more than just little pieces here and there. This is almost like a jigsaw puzzle where there's a place for everything that I was working on. The wild thing is probably 70% of the writing that's in that book started at 4.18 a.m. Oh, wow. Wow. I would wake up at 4.18 a.m. and just have stuff that I needed to write. After a while, you can feel the difference between whether you're tapping into the flow of the universe and the words that are being put onto the paper are from source or whether your ego is getting involved and Mm. you're starting to muddy it up. So Mm -hmm. I'd write until... I've reached that point of, okay, your ego's getting involved here, put it down, and then just kept on getting prompted at 4.18 a.m. Right, because we're sort of coming out of that twilight zone of sleep, and we're in a different brain state, so it's easier to receive. Like you said, your conscious mind isn't so much interfering, or your ego, really. (laughs) Right. So uh, that's super weird. Do you you know why 4.18? I don't know. You know? (laughs) It just was. Yeah, just one of those things. It's just the unfolding of the universe is less important why, and it's more important to just stand in a place of awe and say, Mm. wow, look at this unfolding. 
our minds want to know why. That's, that's our brain trying to analyze things. Our hearts are just where they can stay in that place of awe and say, wow, look at that bird flying. Isn't that beautiful? We could go into the scientific aspect of the weight of their bones and the trajectory of their wings and all of that stuff, or we could just enjoy the beauty of the love manifested as the physical world. Mm -hmm. So how is our heart connected to the quantum field? For me, one of the central components of this new book, Consciousness Rising, is that we've been trained into what I call the cult of the brain. Our culture says that the best thing about being a human is being intelligent and being able to analyze things and make all these differences in the world. But it's our heart that is connected to the creativity and the quantum field. And so if you look at even something as simple as or as profound as a fetus being developed in a mother's womb, the first thing that is developed in a fetus is the heart and circulatory system. So that's where our connection from source comes from as we come into the material world. And then after we're born, we're told not to play in the street, we're told to keep our pants on, whatever. All of these stories that we're told to navigate this physical world, Mm -hmm. and many of us lose connection with our creator, which comes through our heart. And so we end up with a lot of stress because our brains are trying to navigate everything that's going on in our physical senses, And we lose sight of the fact that our purpose and passion comes through our heart. Our heart's electromagnetic field is 10 times larger than our brain's electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the first created. It's the last to shut off when we leave the scene. Mm -hmm. And it's bigger than anything else. But our culture doesn't support that. Our culture supports all of the data and all of the achievements and push to be somebody we're born somebody we don't have to be we don't have to do something in the world to have value our value is inherent because we all come from the same creative force of the universe explain the human proposition value that you talk about in your book which talks about the brain and the heart and the relationship Um, to the world Yeah, the human value proposition actually is the first chapter of the book that introduces people to the idea that we all have inherent value, that we come from the same source. And so our value comes from that source. What we've done in the world is we've decided that you don't have value because you don't have the same genes I have, Mm. or you don't have value because you aren't useful to me. Right. And so then we end up getting more and more drilled down into tribalism, into who can help me survive, which is helpful when we're young humans, but to find the potential within each one of us, no matter whether we've got any genetic 
components the same. And I would argue that we all come from the same source of genetic components. That value, we have to learn to find value in every human being, no matter what their physical station is on life, in life, from their source. They came from the same place we came from. If I feel like I have value because of where I came from, then you obviously have to have value because you came from the same place. Right. It's so obvious to someone like you and me that we all have value. And I love that you put that we are programmed to see the differences in other people versus the similarities. And that further divides us, which is why we are so stressed, because we are forgetting how similar we really are. I mean, when you look at the genes, we are 99% the same, if, if not more, I think it's 99.98% the same, right. you know, right. genes. It's only those small phenotypes, you know, that make us look different. But obviously, as spirits, we have different missions, and we have different purposes and obviously value here on earth. And we often forget that. And I, I like that you make that differentiation where, you know, if we, we start seeing how we are alike and valued on the inside. Yeah. yeah. Uh, an analogy I use is uh, I love trees. So if you think about a, a big, beautiful tree in the summertime, and you imagine that you travel to the top of this tree, and there's several leaves that are all facing the sun, and you take two leaves next to each other, wouldn't it be absurd if one of the leaves looked at the other leaf and said, well, you don't have any value. You, you aren't any good. What are you doing here? Why are you bothering with this? You aren't as big as me. You don't have as much chlorophyll as I do. I mean, that's just absurd. They both come from the same place. They both serve the same purpose, which is to live and support the whole. So it's just crazy as humans that we get into this place where we think that difference matters in the physical form. It doesn't matter. We all have a heart. We all are connected to source. We all want the same thing, which is to enjoy life and live our purpose. So if we did that, just imagine the change on the planet if everyone on the planet was supported and living into their potential. Mm. It would unleash unbelievable energy onto the planet and yeah. eliminate every problem that humans have. Sure. I mean, it's interesting how you bring up a tree. I mean, imagine if every single living thing like that, every tree, every animal, everything that is in nature was arguing. <laughs> like, right. think about all the stress there would be in the world. Like, they don't. They're just like, this is the way it is. And I was watching Earth Planet or whatever they call it on um, Netflix. And it, it's beautiful. It's all about animals. And I was trying to explain, I have a six-year-old son, about the evolution of life and, you know, how some are prey and some are predators. and some of those, they carry yeah. both titles and stuff like that. <laughs> and he was just like, wow, that's amazing. And I was like, yeah, it's just this balance that there is in this world and this harmony and, and just this awareness and knowing that that's the way it is. And there isn't a challenge around it. It's just like the way it is. So uh, it's really, yeah. really beautiful. And, and I wish that we worked more together as a society, for sure. Well, well we've been fed the information that supports what I call a dominator consciousness, which is power over 
other people. And let me give you a quick example that relates to that story that you just told. Darwin in The Origin of the Species talked about evolution and the processes that cause evolution. I bet if you interview a thousand people, they could name survival of the fittest. But that was one of two main processes that Darwin talked about. Mm -hmm. The other one, I bet there's not 10 people out of a thousand that would know what you're talking about. If you said, what's the other process? The other process is cooperation. Mm -hmm. We don't teach that to our kids as part of how humans advance in the world. All we teach is survival of the fittest. And right. so if we balanced it out and said competition is important and cooperation is important, then that would help us further the collective human experience on the planet. I remember in psychology classes, evolutionary psychology, and my professor was saying that there's no such thing as true altruism. And altruism is obviously cooperation and doing things for other people just for the sake of doing it. And I remember being so angry with him <laughs> because I was like, no, I'm a nice person. I do things for people because I'm nice. And when you really look at it more carefully, you really realize that you're doing things because it feels good. That's why you do it. So there really isn't any true altruism because you're actually getting something back. You're getting how you feel back. So but the question is, why do you feel good when you do things for other people? Because of the cooperation aspect, the, the part but, of our... Because we're built that way. We're exactly. built to know in our hearts that we're connected. And if I help an old lady across the street, I've helped the collective, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And one of the benefits is I feel good about it. So I know from my own meditation practice that we are all connected. I mean, I've definitely felt that amazing connection with the quantum field, the, the oneness. How has that looked for you? The key is to find the practices that resonate with you and then just do them over and over and over again. Between meditation and my energy work, I probably have 10 clients a week that I do energy work with and have for 18 years. So that reconnects me to that quantum field every time I do a session. And it helps me to shift from the dichotomy of being a human or being spirit to having spirit, being a spirit as primary and being a human as secondary. And so over time, you get to that place where you look at people and it's absurd what they're doing because it isn't part of your reality anymore. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it definitely yeah. does seem absurd. You wouldn't do it if a lot of things that we see, we, we wouldn't do because we understand how connected we are and that if I hurt you, I hurt. Right. So yeah, it's pretty yeah. incredible when you get that deep knowingness, how much it changes your life. And I think if as energy workers, we can see such vast changes in people in, in such a quick amount of time uh, that right. we wind up realizing that the physical is really so intangible. I mean, it's hard to explain, but that there's something beyond what is what we're seeing. And so therefore, 
it can kind of be secondary because the energy is really our spirit that is helping to transform this energy that is on the outside. Anyway, we're getting a little bit <laughs> out there, right? <laughs> a little uh, bit into the weeds. <laughs> yeah. So are you excited about the future? Oh, yeah. I'm just watching. It's, it's almost like watching a lotus flower bloom mm. to see what's going on with humanity. There's so many ways that people are waking up to the idea that we've got to take care of each other. We've got to take care of the physical world. We've got connections that we never even recognized. There's lots of things going on. If you just tap into different channels, say TV or particular channels on the internet, all you hear is what's going wrong. Mm. But there's so much going right. There's so many organizations that are being developed to transform the way we treat people. There's a research institute, I think, at somewhere in Ohio, not Ohio State, Institute for uh, the Study of Ultimate Love. I mean, there's <laughs> stuff going on yeah. that, that doesn't get headlines that is just opening us up to that sense of connection. And what's happening, and from my perspective, is we're seeing the dying whimpers of the dominator consciousness. We've been under the dominator consciousness for several thousand years. That's where men in particular decide that they need more and more resources and other people don't need resources and it's survival of the fittest. And we've created famine, we've created food insecurity, we've created all kinds of, of environmental problems just from that dominator consciousness. And now people are waking up to the fact that we actually do have enough food to feed all 8 billion people on the planet. The only problem we've got is a distribution problem. Mm -hmm. And the distribution problem comes out of that sense of lack, that there isn't enough. And so the way the dominator consciousness continues its process is to remove access to things so that you will then increase your sense of value to get that thing. So then you'll pay more to get that thing that was otherwise freely available. So, yeah, I think all of the things that are happening, the groundswell of new energy workers. I do some shamanic practices. I'm putting together a course called Becoming Shamanic. Just the number of people who have asked me about shamanism in the last three years has grown exponentially from back when I was trained 15 years ago. So people are waking up to this sense that we're a spiritual being having a material experience, and we can manifest whatever we want in the physical world because we're connected to the creator of the universe. And so when we go to fear and manifest fear, then it looks like violence and guns and all of that lack stuff. But if we continue to pour love into the world, then there's a tipping point where it isn't 50%. It's probably somewhere in the 20 to 
to 30%, where when that number of people on the planet are pouring love into the world, then we're going to have a huge shift and everything's going to change for the better. Right. And that partly goes along with the uh, scale of consciousness, right? That Stephen Hawkins was talking about where every single person who is awake in consciousness is at a certain vibration and then they are uplifting the others that are around them. So that's one of the ways in which that can cause that shift. The energy of the planet is shifting based on the human resonance. You can look at that as well. There's definitely, I mean, obviously we all know we're familiar with our dark nights, right? And how we wind up coming awake really and, and realizing who we are and why we're here. And what do you think the best way is to connect with that purpose that I think a lot of people are looking for? Like, what do you think is the key to finding out who we truly are? For me in the dark nights that I've had, what I've come to realize after looking back on them is the way that I got into the dark night was to become less and less attached to my source. And so over time, I turn into myself and I don't reach out to the source of my being and whatever practices that resonate with me. And it comes to this place where you feel like there's nowhere to go. There's nothing that is of value. It's that abyss. Hmm. In part because as humans, once it, with our brains, we're seeing difference and we're trying to find purpose and passion looking externally. And it's not there. There's no human that I've ever known that finds their purpose and passion by looking outside themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so the dark night of the soul helps you to pull into yourself and eliminate all of the external world so that then you can get to know your heart, your deepest part of you that nobody else can get to. And at that point, find a connection to the source of your being and know that any purpose and passion that, that you have is put there by your creator. And your creator put it there for you to live it into the world. Each of us are just little pieces or little splinters of everything that is. And so my purpose and passion is different than your purpose and passion. Doesn't mean mine's better than yours. It just mm -hmm. means that I have a different representation of the divine than you do. And when you honor those, when you go to the dark night of the soul and you find that connection, that the way to build your character is inside out rather than outside in. And so then the outside becomes much less significant. The work that you do here inside you will be projected out into the outer world. And that's where the best light workers are the ones that are shining the brightest because they've done their inner work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do tell people that if they want to do energy healing or any kind of work that's along those lines, the best thing to do is to do their work because it helps to clear up who they are and why they're here. And then they start to see all the illusions that they had been believing and then really understand who they are by eliminating those illusions. <laughs> right, right.
and yeah. reclaiming their power. Yep. So yep. we've that's a whole nother dominator consciousness example is as humans, we've given away our power to the medical profession. We go into the doctor and say, tell me what's wrong with me and what I need to do to fix it. When we already know if we get quiet, we can know what's wrong with us and know how to fix it. We've got to find that power and then heal ourselves so that we can shine brighter, which then attracts other people that need healing. And the whole process just keeps on going. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It's funny because if you think of that, let's say, man, that goes into the doctor and says, I'm sick. He is obviously turning over his power, but if he had gotten quiet, he may not say, oh, I have this diagnosis. What he'll say is, I have a relationship that I don't feel satisfied by. I have a job where I worry every single day. I have a commute that is hellish. That's where people are missing the disconnect of how that stress of those things creates these symptoms in our body. And we were just talking before the podcast about how symptoms are just on the way out like energy on the way out, which is so true. I tell people, especially on the second day, it's really noticeable after energy healing. (laughs) That Yeah, that the energy that's working its way out will show up in various ways. What should we be asking ourselves in order to stay connected with consciousness or fully evolve? What could we be asking ourselves every day? Have I gotten quiet and listened to spirit? It's the best question. Now, I know some people would say spirit who, like spirit, like on the other side, people walking around, our higher self, God, who are you referring to? Well, the the difficulty is that when you believe in an energy that exists everywhere at all times, then you can't really find a name for it that's going to encapsulate it. Right. Because it's everything, Mm -hmm. right? Most generally, I'll use creator. Sometimes I use spirit, sometimes I use universe, sometimes I use divine intelligence. All of those are insufficient labels of this, what you call the quantum field, which is another label for Mm -hmm. the underlying source energy of the universe that manifests everything that we can see in our human form, including us including our eyes, including all of our senses. Hmm. So people get hung up on labels. There's what I call spiritual trauma. There's people who, if you use the word G-O-D, they would say, oh, I don't believe in that. Most likely because somebody tried to cram it down their throat at some point in their life, which I call spiritual trauma or Mm -hmm. religious trauma. But If we understand that any label we're going to call this thing that we're embedded in is inadequate, then just come up with a name. I mean, you could call the energy an index card or Bob or, I mean, no (laughs) label is going to do it, right? Right. It's not. Yeah. Right. I struggled with that in the beginning because I grew up a Catholic with the understanding of God and it didn't sit with me back before I was attuned. And then as soon as I started meditating, I definitely felt a creator and I've heard the creator. There's just no unknowing that for myself personally, I have been able to re come around to the idea of God, but 
for a while, I called it universe or quantum field. And sometimes I'll refer to them as all the same thing because to me, they are. Yeah. It's just energy and it's all communication of energy. Yeah. And if if you think about it, I was raised in a Christian family as well. If you think about it, Jesus really, the one theme that he had over and over and over and over again was you've got to connect with your source. You've got to connect with the thing that is all around all the time. And that's how you live a good life. That's how you make the life that you want to live. Whether you believe in the literal translation of the New Testament or the metaphorical translation of it, it's the same thing. Stay connected. So that's the question that I would ask is, what have you done to connect to your source and listen? Instead of many of us raised in the Christian family, learn to make requests to source, but we didn't stop and listen. Mm. And listening is the key. And you can't listen when you're tuned to all the noise out in the world. You've got to find a place where you can disconnect from all of the information overload that comes into your brain, that there's no way you can process all of that, even if you lived a hundred thousand years. Mm-hmm. It's about disconnecting from all of that and going into your heart and developing what I call the heart senses. The heart senses, I've got, we've got a, a physical sense of smell. That's our brain working. For me, the, the corollary of that is discernment our heart sense of discernment, being able to tell the difference between things. Our sense of touch, physical sense of touch, is the heart sense of connection, is feeling that sense of we're on the same page. I feel you, right? Mm -hmm. That comes from our heart. The physical sense of sight is our heart sense of awe, when we just are like blown away by looking out over the Grand Canyon, or we've got a weather event today, and I went out, and it's sleeting, and it was like I was inside a snow cone machine. (laughs) stuff coming down. It's like, wow, look at this stuff. So I was just in awe that that could happen. Our physical sense of hearing, which we use a lot, the heart sense is surrender is surrendering to the energy that's pouring through you so that you can manifest that in the world. And the physical sense of taste, the heart sense is gratitude. Mm, For taste. Interesting. Yeah. Think about one of the best meals you've ever had, how you, it just stops you and you're just like, wow, this is a phenomenal experience, right? Mm -hmm. That's gratitude. Mm-hmm. So that's our heart saying, thank you for all of the energy and all of the abundance that's supplied to me in every way, in every day. Hmm. I love that. As you were talking about the different senses, I was remembering just yesterday a conversation I had with somebody where I was talking about the awe that I was witnessing of the universe and and the way things all play out. And I really am so grateful that I get to experience that. A lot of times when we're 
unconscious or not awake, we miss the divine nature that is always ever present. Sometimes I become overwhelmed with the synchronicities and the, like I said, I decided that consciousness was something I was going to talk about on the podcast. And then you messaged me (laughs) without me saying anything. And that happens a lot. And I think maybe if somebody was unawake, not that this would probably really happen, but they'd get a message and say, isn't that interesting, Tom, message me, but not really realize the connection because they're not really awake. They're not really paying attention or full attention to what's going on. And it's just so wonderful to be able to have that experience on a daily basis. It gives me so much hope and excitement. And I really have a childlike nature within life because of that awe. I I stay in awe just like a child. In fact, I was listening to one of the podcasts that I did and I I laughed at myself because I was like, (gasps) like a kid. Yeah. Um, Don't ever lose that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it just makes it easier to connect with consciousness when we are coming from our heart space and staying in awe and curiosity and gratitude and surrendering to the beautiful nature that is the world. I mean, again, I could have been like, well, I didn't want Tom Capshaw to talk about consciousness, (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't make sense. I surrendered and said, obviously, he's supposed to come onto the podcast and talk (laughs) about consciousness. Or you might not have even noticed it, you know. Right, right. I hadn't been on LinkedIn in forever. I don't even know why I was on LinkedIn, in fact. Yeah. So crazy. All of this is so fascinating. And I I really appreciate your wisdom around all this, you sharing it. So is there anything that you would like to leave us with beyond just letting us know where we can find you, more about you? Well, I, I would like to comment about what you called people who weren't awake. Part of what happens is the seeing world gets so active that we spend all of our energy on that and on survival instead of getting to where we can follow our purpose. And so one of the ways that I help people to understand it is to talk about four energy bodies and the centers of those bodies. We've got a physical energy body, which the boundary is our skin, and the locus of control for that physical body is the nucleus accumbens, which is part of the pleasure cascade in our brain. The second biggest part of our body, our energy bodies, is the emotional energy body. And it's a little bit bigger than our physical body. And the center of that is our amygdala. And Mm. our amygdala is there to keep us safe. The third largest energy body is our intellectual energy body. The center is our cerebral cortex, where we process all the sensory information. And that's the cult of the brain that I've been talking about, that that's the height of what people consider to be a successful human being. But the largest energy body that we have is our spiritual energy body, which the center of that, as I've mentioned before, is our heart. So what happens with people who are asleep or who are not aware of the connections is they spend most of their time in those first three energy bodies, which are all associated with the brain, and they forget to attend to their heart and fill their spiritual energy body. And that's what directs our passion and purpose. Yeah. I always say it's your GPS. Your heart is your GPS. (laughs) You got to check in there and then you know where to go. Exactly. Yeah. Our brain has to try to figure it out and make the best 
analysis it can, our heart knows instantaneously because our heart connects to all that is and doesn't need to process it, just knows. Yeah, so often our heart will get us to that destination a lot faster than our brain would. And it'll be a lot more ease <laughs> as well. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think we yep. can laugh about that because we both had to learn that lesson. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's part of the reason that I have four degrees. It took me, I had a wandering path to get to my purpose. So. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. Where can we find out more about you? The easiest way is on my website, which is thomascapshoe.com. That's with an E-W, not an A-W. I know there's some Capshaws out there. My email address is associated with that. It's just tom at thomascapshoe.com. And people can get in touch with me that way. The book is on sale everywhere, including on my website. I've got a, a deal going right now that you can get both of my books, Divine Warrior Training and Consciousness Rising for $25 and no shipping charge. So I'm going to keep that deal going for a few more weeks. We need that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And I'd like to offer all of your listeners a free ebook of Consciousness Rising. So if you want to get the ebook, then email me at free ebook so that'll be three E's there together, free ebook at thomascapshoe.com. And I'll send you a link and a code to download a free book. Wow, that is really, really generous of you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And you're still available for sessions, correct? I do. Yeah, I've got a private practice and it's pretty busy, but I always like to get to know new people and help them on their way. My philosophy for my practice is to work myself out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I know. I I actually, that's one of the things that I found very interesting about energy healing is that once you help somebody, then they're on their way. (laughs) It's it's not a great business model, but it is what we're here to do. Oh, oh, Amy, (laughs) it is the best business model. (laughs) Yes, because everybody needs healing. That's true. Because it's raising the vibration of the planet. Yeah, yeah, totally true. And are you still offering Reiki 1, 2, and 3? I am. With COVID right now, I'm doing both video sessions and individuals. So if somebody's got a a couple of people that want to get together and they're comfortable with each other's COVID status, then I can offer small groups. Okay, got it. Last year... I had a whole bunch of group Reiki trainings scheduled both in Virginia, where I live, and in New York City, and those pretty much got wiped out with the pandemic. But hopefully by the second half of 2021, I'll have my Reiki trainings back up and running in New York City and Virginia. I am so grateful for meeting you and you being my teacher. You really helped to launch me into helping a lot of people on this planet. And uh, I really appreciate that. I'm so grateful that you said yes back in 2007 or whatever, and that (laughs) you followed your heart. I'm just having a blast watching you bring light into the world. So thank you. Thank you.
all content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show, website, or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.